Oh, hey, I'm so glad that you found us. My name's Michael, and I get to be the pastor at Shepherd's Community United Methodist Church in Lakeland, Florida. You're listening to the It's Better When You're Here podcast, where every week we upload the messages that are preached at our church every Sunday. We hope by listening to this, uh, you feel safe, heard, and loved by the God that created you. We hope this message makes an impact in your life. If listening to this makes a difference, reach out to us and connect with us either on social media or on our website, shepherdsumc.com. All right, here's the message. Well, good morning, friends. I am so pleased to be here with you in worship this morning. As Pastor Michael said, I'm Carrie. Uh, My name is Reverend Carrie Taylor. I serve as a deacon in the Florida Conference. Um, I work in Pinellas County for an organization called FAST, which stands for Faith and Action for Strength Together. We're an interfaith justice ministry uh, advocating for the folks in our county who may not have a voice to advocate for themselves, very similar to Peace in Polk County. If you've ever worked with Peace, uh, we are that just over the bay. So I am, I'm thrilled to be here with you all. Um, I've heard wonderful things about this church, and I am so glad to get to spend some time in worship with each of you today. So as we begin our time together, won't you pray with me and for me? Oh, Holy One, we thank you for all the ways that you bless us, and God, we yearn for more of your gifts, uh, the gifts of peace, God, the gifts of your love and of your assurance. God, I pray that you hide me behind your cross and use me as a vessel to bring your word to your children today. In your name we pray, amen. So as we're beginning today, I want you to start thinking about something that you are a fan of. Something that you are a fan of. I was thinking about like what it means to be a fan of something, uh, and the definition of being a fan, sound, it's an enthusiastic devotee an enthusiastic devotee, uh, usually a spectator. So usually a fan of something, doesn't participate in the thing, just kind of watches it and, and is an enthusiastic devotee of that thing. I like that turn of phrase, enthusiastic devotee. Now, depending on how enthusiastic someone is about something that they love, uh, it could really become like a large part of one's identity. You might think of someone in your life who's like such a fan of one thing that whenever you think about that one thing, you think of that person. I mean, I think of fans of Disney, right? Fans who are like always going to Disney parks, uh, you know, are fans of, fans of anything like that. And I think why we are fans of things oftentimes is because there is emotion tied up into why we like those things. Back to that Disney example, like I think big Disney fans probably like going to Disney because there's nostalgia there or maybe a level of comfort and and familiarity or excitement. Those are all emotions tied with being a fan of that thing. My husband is a huge Star Wars fan, like a huge, he's like one of those people where it is a lot of his identity, how much he loves Star Wars. And it's because it was a big part of his childhood. When he was growing up, that was something that he, he was able to share with his dad and enjoy with each other, so that's part of that. Um, I think a big like thing that people are fans of right now, Taylor Swift. Any Taylor Swift fans? Maybe? Yeah, okay, got a couple. Yeah, ta- like people really love Taylor Swift, and for a good reason. She writes lyrics that resonate with people like on an emotional level. So there's emotion tied in the things that we're fans of. You see what I mean? Turn to someone around you. Tell them something that you are a fan of and why you are a fan of that thing. Maybe someone you know, someone you don't know, tell them something you are a fan of 
and why you like that thing. Could be anything, right? There's an infinite amount of things we can be fans of. Any, any, any fans of Taylor Swift? Yeah, I saw, saw, saw a couple. Any fans of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups? Yeah. Fans of, I'm a huge fan of Diet Coke. I like Diet Coke. I've been really into The Office lately. That's like a comfort, comfort rewatch for me. I'm a big Office fan. Any football fans? Any NFL fans? This is a big time of year for you NFL people. Now, I am not a fan of football really at all. Um, my husband is, though. My Star Wars loving husband is also a big NFL fan. So he, football is like a really big part of my life. And I know a lot more about the NFL than I ever thought I would. Um, it works well. I love to read and he loves to watch football. So we've got our spots on the couch. He's watching. I'm reading it. It, it works. Um, he's a big Bucks fan. So we've gone to a couple Bucks games. And I have a t-shirt that says, I just hope both teams have a really good time. Um, and I really do mean that. I like, I do not do not care about football in any way. But because uh, the person that I love loves football, um, I, I know a lot more about it than I ever thought I would. And there are things that I actually really enjoy watching in a football game. Um, I love watching the team's celebrations. Those are always really joyous, and there's a lot of emotion there, and I love watching that. I love how connected they are to each other and how teams work together. I like that dynamic that occurs when a team functions like as a cohesive unit rather than just a group of individually talented people. But the teamwork aspect always kind of um, captures my attention. It's pretty basic knowledge that a group of the most talented people isn't always the best team. There's gotta be that dynamic of working together. It truly depends on the attitude of each of those people toward themselves and the team itself that determines whether or not the team is going to be successful in working together. Do you agree? It turns out that more often than not, sometimes fame and the limelight of being a professional athlete can, can get in the way of someone's dedication to their team. Maybe there are people you can think of who have maybe become self-absorbed or people whose fame gets in, the, in front of them or they get focused on themselves, maybe to the detriment of the team. Maybe there are people in other teams that you have been a part of, or you can think of examples of times that that has happened. Typically, this ends up causing conflict and, and hurt and a great deal of harm, and maybe even them leaving on less than wonderful terms. However, when we look at teams that function at that high level, regardless of how t highly talented some of those players are, what you see is an attitude of servanthood. Don't get it wrong, I mean, these people are idolized, like if you think about NFL athletes, uh, they're idolized by many, uh, probably have more money than I will ever even imagine to have, so they don't quite honestly need to win, but there are people who set aside all of that for the sake of the team, for the sake of creating something special, and that something special is this culture of mutual respect, working together, equality, and service to each other for the sake of this greater mission, right, for the sake of the team. I was thinking about what it means to be on a team, uh, and I was looking around for examples of this, examples of kind of like self-giving for the sake of the team, and I found a story that was told by a pretty famous coach and author named Tony Dungy. He tells a story from his time serving as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. See, I told you, I, knew, I know more about the NFL than I ever thought I would. But he tells a story of a time when he was the coach and Peyton Manning was their quarterback. 
Peyton Manning was an excellent, like, Hall of Fame caliber player. Even I know that. He's a big, famous football player. But when the Colts drafted a young receiver out of Ohio State, Peyton did something pretty extraordinary for someone of his position. He would make the three-hour drive from Indianapolis, Indiana, to Columbus, Ohio, twice a week to run plays with this kid at Ohio State uh, to his new teammate because the teammate couldn't come join the team until he finished his senior year. So, I mean, this is Peyton Manning, right? He was driving about 12 hours a week, just driving, just to make sure that this kid would be prepared as much as he possibly could be because that's what was best for the team. This kind of action, this kind of self-giving, you know, self-sacrificing action for the sake of the mission is honestly at the core of what it means to be followers of Jesus. Jesus' followers, Jesus' disciples, his closest friends were offered a first-hand look uh, at what it looks like for someone to live a life of service, even when they didn't need to. You think about Jesus living a life of service. I mean, Jesus had all the power of God, all the glory of heaven that Jesus set aside just to move into the neighborhood and become friends with humanity. But still, even having witnessed all of this, the disciples had a thing or two to learn about what it really meant to have a servant's heart. And I'm going to show you what I mean in our scripture today. We see this in this interaction uh, that we'll read about in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. So we have here, as we pause, we have two of Jesus' longest tenured disciples asking Jesus to essentially share in his stature and in his glory when the kingdom comes. So basically, these two disciples are saying, Hey, Jesus, we know you're really, really great. We want to be great just like you. One on your left, one on your right. We want to be famous, right? We want to be glorified. But Jesus, you know, I feel like he feels they're missing the point. Jesus responds essentially by saying, you don't know what you're asking for. Let's read on together, starting in verse 38. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with with the baptism I am baptized with? We can't, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them, but it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In these verses, we really really get a lot of insight into Jesus' philosophy on life and on service and what it means to be great. You see, the disciples were like the rest of us. And even though they were so close in proximity to Jesus, that didn't stop them from having little power struggles amongst themselves. And we do this too, don't we? 
We do this within our families. We do this within our workplaces, within our churches, within our denominations, within our organizations that we're a part of, our friends group. It's in our nature. We want to be the ones with influence. We want to be the ones to steer the ship, to have that respect. You know, we want to be the ones who get the glory. But Jesus' response to these disciples is, hey guys, that's not how my kingdom works. If you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. And this is quite the opposite of what conventional wisdom tells us about the way that the world works. But I think if we look at reality, if we look at the people who we remember with the most fondness in our hearts and the most love, it's the people who gave, who gave of himself, who gave of themselves. We remember the impact and the legacy of people like some big ones, like Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King Jr. Or maybe there's some other saints in your life that you remember as people who showed you what it really means to serve. Countless others who gave of themselves sacrificially over celebrity, over stardom, over anything else. And that's because the act of service is something we remember. We remember because the act of service is something that we are created for and commanded to engage in. It's something written into the very image of God that we carry within us. When we serve, we're living into that God-given mandate on how we have been created to live. If we go back to the very beginning of humanity, the very first humans ever in the Garden of Eden, they were created by God with the original command to work and till the earth as its humble caretakers. These words for work and till could also be translated to serve, and to guard. And we continue to serve and guard the world, living into God's command when we give of ourselves in order to lean into and work towards the common good of all of God's people. The thing about this is, is that it's almost like the complete opposite of what makes the most sense to us, almost the complete opposite of what is in our human nature. In our modern context, we're almost like conditioned to keep that focus inward. What's going to be the best for me? What's going to be the best, you know, most productive use of my time? How can I benefit myself the most? I'm tempted to say this is a condition of, you know, our modern, our modern context, but let's look at back at that first verse of scripture that we read together when James and John came to Jesus, and the first thing they said is, Jesus, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. How often does our prayer life sound like that? I mean, I'm willing to admit that, like, oftentimes when I come to prayer, it's like, all right, God, here's this long list of things that I need. See, this is not just reserved for our modern context. If we were to look in Matthew, we would see more of Jesus' words about the weight of what it means to live a life of service. These verses are familiar, but they carry so much weight with them. In Matthew 25, Jesus is saying, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And Jesus goes on to say, The righteous will answer, Lord, when did you see, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus is quite direct here. If you serve those in need, it is as if you are serving God directly. 
And I'm not going to read on this morning, but if I were to read on in Matthew, the next thing Jesus talks about is what happens uh, to those who don't help those in need. And let me tell you, it's not desirable, but this isn't meant to kind of scare you or make you feel guilty for not doing enough. That's not, it's not my intention at all. But if only to confirm who we say we are. Because, friends, if we call ourselves Christians, but we don't serve others the way that Christ calls us to, then we're not followers of Jesus. We're just fans. To follow Jesus is to serve others as if we are serving Jesus himself or God, God's self. The part that this, this part comes from recognizing the imago dei, the image of God, the presence of the divine in everyone we encounter. Our attitude towards service distinguishes us as followers of Christ, not just fans. It puts us on Jesus' team. The fruit of our faith is our service to others. And now this doesn't need to be some like big, extravagant thing. Like I don't think God is calling all of us to sell our homes, sell our cars, sell everything and be missionaries. But more, it's about the little choices that we make day in and day out of how we are going to serve, how we are going to occupy the world and make it better. For example, do you tip your server 20%? Do you let people in traffic ahead of you without like saying any choice words about them after the fact? Do you let your family know how much you appreciate them? Do you do things like feeding the hungry, invite in the outcast, look after the sick or clothe the needy? Of course, there are big, great needs in our communities and in our world. Where are you called to be making a difference in Lakeland? How is Shepherds Community United Methodist Church already doing that right now? I did my homework, and it is very clear to me uh, that this is a faith community that is outward-facing. Do you agree? I feel like it's very clear to me that this is a faith community that spends its time serving others, using your resources uh, for the sake of the community. You make a difference in your community by partnering with your local elementary school. I mean, you paid for people to do their laundry at a laundromat one day. You showed love to Jesus, to Jesus' love to people by doing that. Uh, you donated a ton of coats and winter gear to people fleeing war in Ukraine, and these are just to name a few. I mean, Pastor Michael's examples and announcements today show just where this church's priority is. I think that's one of my favorite things about being a Christian, being a United Methodist is something that we, we focus on is, okay, now we have this faith, we have this belief, what are we going to do about it? As Pastor Michael said, like, this is a place where if you weren't here, people would notice. And that's, that's what it's all about. You see, acts of service are the means by which we recognize the deep price of what Jesus paid in serving us. That's how we show ourselves and show the world that we are aligned and aligned with and have wholly committed ourselves to the reality of our salvation. While it may be in our nature to search for a shortcut, search for a good deal, do the easy thing, it's important for us to remember that grace is not cheap. What Christ did on the cross for us was not cheap. But when we live our lives without serving the world around us, then we risk devaluing the cost of that salvation. For our salvation is meant to be that driving force behind our love for the world. It's meant to be a love that is tangible, a love that leaves a lasting mark and changes the world. 
His friends, when we have run this race with perseverance and we reach the end of our lives, I'm willing to bet that we likely won't be remembered for how much we have achieved or how productive we were. Instead, people will remember how you served, how you loved the world around you. So my challenge to you and my challenge to myself is the same, and that would be that we would spend some time in prayer about where God is calling us to serve. Because the reality is, is there's so much good out there to be done, but we can't do it all. So the challenge is to figure out where God is calling us next. The theologian Frederick Buechner uh, defines vocation as the place where our deep gladness and the world's deep, and the world's greatest need meet. So our deep gladness and the world's deepest need meet. What is your deep gladness? What makes you feel the most like yourself? What makes you feel like you are living into God's calling in your life? Identify that, ask God to help you identify that, and then find how you can use that joy to meet the world's greatest needs. And I'm willing to bet, friends, you're not going to have to look far, because the reality is, is that our world has a lot of need, and there's a lot of good to be done. But friends, we're not kicked out of the nest to do it on our own. We have the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, already at working within us. We have everything we need within us already, and we are sustained by God's grace through the journey. So my prayer is that God will open our eyes to where we can be Jesus to the world around us. Need is all around us, so how can we be part of God's solution? you pray with me? All right, friends, I hope you heard something in today's message that made an impact in your life, helped you know that you're loved by God, and inspired you to do something about the gospel that is offered to you. Now receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.